Greetings, church and friends of the church. This is the next episode in a series of reflections about how we can more deeply understand ourselves and each other because of our time together in this wilderness place, uh, with the wilderness being this image, this metaphor for um, being disconnected from what we used to understand as normal and not yet having arrived at a settled place of a new normal. We're, we're on the journey from what was to what will become. Um, and we certainly feel how that's true as we enter into what the eighth month of this pandemic season, the numbers are higher than ever. We have the uncertainty of the election before us and, and we just don't know what's gonna be normal. Um, but in this place, because we're not just going through the motions of what was, and we're not going through the motions of what the, whatever the new normal will be, we have more room within our schedules and, in, and within our minds to imagine how life could be different and better. We're, we're, we're not just blindly following normal, but we can explore better ways to be ourselves in life together. So in the series, we've thought about posture that we take of openness to the mystery of the wilderness, assumptions that we can make, uh, what we've learned about the natural tendencies and temptations that are part of our evolution as every human being, um, the, the need for a spiritual understanding of life, a non-physical voice telling us something different about who we are than what those, those um, self-preserving tendencies and temptations tell us, and then We've considered a, a number of isms, which are manifestations of these tendencies and temptations in a corporate way that really contribute to the breakdown of a peaceful society um, in our efforts to self-serve and self-protect. So in this episode, we consider the next ism, perfectionism. I'm going to try not to smile throughout this whole thing, knowing that I'm talking first and foremost to myself. The underlying trouble with perfectionism is that it is the pursuit of something that is impossible. And yet we all tend to live as, as though it were possible, if not ideal. With self-oriented perfectionism, that's when we point this at ourselves, we have unrealistic, impossible expectations of perfection for our own selves. We expect and demand to be perfect as a parent as a friend and a neighbor. We expect and demand that we are perfect as a student or as an employee. We expect and demand that we will be perfect in meeting what we assume and understand to be God's expectations for us or the expectations of others in a faith community if, if that is something that we are a part of. Now this force can make us driven um, and that can sometimes lead to positive outcomes, but, but it can also make us controlling and stubborn it can make us procrastinate, and it can make us a poor loser. It can make us easily upset when things don't go exactly the way we imagine them to go. And it can make us too afraid to try new things because we're afraid to fail. It tends us toward rigid, all or nothing or black and white thinking, refusing to listen to other perspectives that might challenge our own definitions of what understandings and what actions are perfect. And we refuse to compromise or be challenged to grow. We tend therefore to lack creativity 
and the willingness to risk trying new ideas and approaches. And it tends us to prefer the certainty, the known entity of the status quo, with, with this myth that it is or was perfect, um, rather than opening ourselves to new understandings of who we could be. There's also other oriented perfectionism when we point this at others, when we have unrealistic and impossible expectation of perfection for others. We expect and demand that our children are perfect in their obedience to us and to our rules, and then their performance as students and athletes, musicians and artists. We give them grades and scores so that they know how far they are from this goal that we place upon them. We expect and uh, demand that our bosses, our, our co-workers, our employees are perfect. We, we get evaluations at work so we know how short we're falling. We, we expect and demand that our spouses and significant others are perfect. We expect that our leaders are perfect. We expect and demand even that strangers we've never met, whether American or immigrant or foreign, are perfect. How many relationships with family, friend, and stranger are misshapen and compromised because of these expectations? The expectation that someone could measure up to something that is impossible. Perfectionism <clears throat> is not just an individual internal struggle, although that's true for many of us. But it becomes this ism that can have a profound negative impact on us as this interconnected web of people as we all put all of these misshapen and compromised relationships together in life. There's something inside of us as we're living in the midst of all these other people with these expectations of perfection on ourselves and on everyone. There's something deep inside of us that assumes if everyone were perfect by the same definition of what that means that we have, and there were no differences between anyone and anyone's definition of what it meant to be perfect, if we were all the same, then there wouldn't be any conflict, division, or reason to fight. That's what we tend to think. Our primal subconscious sense of well-being and safety, it depends on this myth of homogeneity. We assume that if everyone else looked the same, thought the same, acted the same, had the same goals, norms, and rules, then we would all belong together in peace. One big tribe of belonging where it was easy to assume that we were safe with one another. But this is a tragically flawed assumption that our brains are subconsciously making. The world has never been and never will be a place of homogeneity with an absence of difference. There has always been and always will be difference. We look different, we speak different languages, and these physical animalistic tendencies that evolved within us to try um, and keep us safe. They try to convince us that we are not safe in the midst of difference. This is at the heart of historical movements that led to the division of nations. It's at the heart of the still current systems of white supremacy and systemic racism. We think differently, politically, theologically, and these physical animalistic tendencies that evolved within us all try to convince us that we are not safe in the presence of different ideas. And this is at the heart of this cancer of politicism that is killing us from the inside out. 
and it's at the heart of the fracture of the church over centuries into tens of thousands of denominations, millions of differentiated congregations, each of whom think that they have the perfect ideas. And so it's uh, with this primal drive toward a life of perfection through sameness, because that's what our physical mechanisms are telling us will make us the most safe. We tribalize, surrounding ourselves with those who look, think, and believe like us. We make negative assumptions about others who are different, assuming that their looks, their languages, their ideas, their beliefs make them unsafe until they either look, think, and believe like us, or we send them away a far enough distance. And we get antagonistic toward those who are different. We prepare ourselves to fight if they will not become like us or go away, we prepare ourselves to fight. But again, this is tragically flawed assumption that our brains are making subconsciously. If we can suspend these instinctual warning signs that override the rational part of our brains, if we can take a deep breath and just rest in the safety of this moment, to rest and sit here long enough so that that rational part of our brain can turn back on and reality can shine brighter than the fiction that we fear. We can see and understand that new and different ideas that challenge the ideas and the ways that we currently hold, creativity, ingenuity, change, these things that we tend to fear are what actually contribute to leading our lives to places of greater levels of well-being. What is true is actually the opposite of what we fearfully believe our body is telling us. When we rest in that place of safety, right where we are, and we allow our rational brain to turn back on, we can understand that people who look and speak differently around us, because they were born somewhere else than in the world than, than where we were, that they are not more but less likely to be a physical threat to us than someone who was born here and speaks and looks like us. We could see and understand that 40% of our Fortune 500 companies, many of which contribute to our well-being on a daily basis, healthcare, transportation, entertainment, technology, were founded by immigrants and their children, those who look and speak differently than us. Their contributions to our nation daily adding to our well-being. But so often, what is true is actually the opposite of what we fearfully believe these mechanisms of our body are telling us. Those physical parts of us are constantly telling us these lies of perfectionism, which are leading to individual lives that are not only divorced from what's actually true, but also have greater levels of unhappiness, depression, stress, anxiety, suicide, negativity, change resistance, fractured relationships, and fear of failure. It's all coming from perfectionism, 
what we think is protecting us is actually keeping us from a better life. And it's leading nations into places of greater xenophobia, racism, nationalism, antagonism, polarization, division, and a decline in the well-being and opportunity of peoples because of a lack of creativity and new progress. The physical drive toward perfectionism is not only a wild goose chase, it's not only chasing the impossible, but it's also a force that is detrimental to our well-being as individuals and as peoples together. The solution to this problem will not be found in the cause. It will not be in individual efforts to be more perfect or in corporate efforts to convert or expel or to distance those who look, speak, and think differently so that we are more homogenous. That will not work. It will not counteract these forces of perfectionism and lead us to greater well-being. It will only continue to lead us down the road of less health and life. So in this series, I'm making the key claim that we need a different voice telling us who we are than what these fears and self-protecting tendencies and temptations tell us about who we are. Um, we need, I'm arguing, a golden rule spirituality, a voice about who we are that speaks from outside these body, bodily mechanisms. And this spirituality tells us today, in the midst of this reflection, that not only is it okay to not be perfect, but in fact it is better and more in line with our very nature to be imperfect. So I've found this voice of golden rule spirituality in the Christian spirituality, which grew out from its foundation in Jewish spirituality. But again, Judeo-Christian Tradition by no means has a monopoly on the golden rule, which is a central tenet of countless other spiritual traditions from North and South and East and West. So the very first thing that the original stewards and scribes of the Hebrew scriptures wanted anyone to read and to know and to understand is this poetic telling of how the eternal and mysterious creator has created everything we know to be good, which is a Hebrew word that doesn't mean perfect, but rather it, it more literally means beautiful. Everything was beautiful and perfect, but beautiful and with the potential for both good and meaningful participation in the interconnected rhythms of the whole world, which are told so beautifully in this poetry. And it was good and it was good and it was good and it was all together and it was all connected. But in our beautiful imperfection, we are also capable of a selfish betrayal of that participation in the whole for the sake of the self. The mandate upon creation is not to be individually perfect, but it's to be fruitful in ways that contribute to the well-being of the whole cosmos, the common good. Spiritual heartbeat of the Jewish people as the descendants of Abraham, or that they were blessed in order to be a blessing to the other nations of the earth, and that they were to be holy as God is holy. They weren't to be driven primarily by a pursuit of perfection. Imperfection was allowed in pursuit of fruitfulness. The stories of the very imperfect King David are a great example of this. Despite his failings, David was described as having a heart after God's own heart. And he didn't earn that through his perfection, 
but by his ability to seek God's purposes despite his limitations and failings. God and God's people don't disown David as soon as he's imperfect. But he was forgiven as he was repentant, willing to be different than he was, and he was charged all over again with continuing to lead the people in their corporate calling to seek the well-being of other nations. And be holy because God is holy. For many people of faith in the past and in the present, this has been a rallying cry for pursuit of perfection through the right kinds of obedience, something in the church world we call works righteousness. This idea that there's conditional favor uh, from God earned by those who can be the most pious. But this is an interpretation that is skewed by the lies of perfectionism. In the Hebrew language, the word translated as holy is also not the word for perfect. It's the word for of God or uh, of likeness with God. When our actions, attitudes, norms, words, and teachings are of God, creatively and unconditionally contributing to the goodness and the beauty and the rhythm and the balance of all creation, then they are holy. They are of God. But when they are not, when they contribute to the self in ways that detract from the common good, that harm the other or harm creation, then they are not holy. They are not of God. Those who are holy and righteous are not those who are perfect, but those who are flawed and yet compassionate and creative in ways that contribute to the well-being of others rather than the self. The prophets of Israel spoke up when the people lost sight of this identity, lost sight of who they really were, because they let these lies of perfectionism drive them into self-serving and fear-based religion and religiosity, rather than as living holistic lives as a blessing to the other nations of the world. This is Isaiah crying out, is this what you're doing, what God demands? Serving your own interests? Oppressing workers? Quarreling and fighting? No. No. What God has chosen for you is to loose the bonds of injustice, to share bread with the hungry, to clothe the naked and house the homeless. This is what makes your bones strong as a people. According to John's Gospel, Jesus, who came out from this prophetic tradition of Judaism, never prayed or taught that his followers would be perfectly obedient so that they might find their personal reward for eternity. This is, this is a common misconception of the Christian message that we hear way too often. But rather, what did he pray for and what did he teach? He prayed that their imperfect lives would be holy. Again, not perfect, but of God. So that the world might know God's love and so that their lives might contribute to God's will of peace being nurtured. He did not pray that his followers would be all the same, homogenous. He prayed that instead that they would be one, united despite difference by their common understanding that God made them to belong to one another and to all the nations of the earth and to participate in the well-being of all people and all creation. He taught his followers that the way of unconditional love and acceptance and help 
was the way to live rather than this way of conditional acceptance, conditional help, judgment, segregation, violence that is nurtured by perfectionism. He taught his followers to forgive one another 70 times, seven times. His way of saying that forgiveness of imperfection is, is infinitely and always a foundational part of who we are and who we are together. An act that's not only necessary for our own personal well-being so that we maintain those relationships that provide a sense of belonging to us, but it's also a necessary and central part of all people who are different and not homogenous to live in peace together. If we cannot forgive, if we only expect perfection, we will end up living lives of complete and total isolation. And so he taught his followers to set down the practice of judging, punishing, distancing themselves from those who aren't perfect, to intentionally and thoughtfully deny these impulses of perfectionism and to feed and help and heal and welcome and to show love and hospitality to those among them who were the furthest from their culture's common definition of perfection, either because of their race or their gender, sexual history, physical or mental illness, or affiliation with particular religious, national, or political powers. He taught them that past mistakes never categorically define anyone, nor do the mistakes of any one person categorically define their whole tribe, and that every person and every nation and every tribe has the ability to participate in God's creative efforts to nurture a world of peace and well-being. He taught them to live with grace toward themselves and toward all others, and that difference was not a threat to well-being and safety that needs to be avoided, but an inherent part of the good and beautiful creativity of the Creator. He taught them to treat others when they are imperfect and when they are different, the same way that they would want others to treat them when they are imperfect and they are different. Early Christian leader Paul wrote about what it looks like to live by a social norm of unconditional love and grace toward one another, rather than this conditionality of belonging or not by a social norm of perfectionism. He wrote that this different kind of living, the way of love rather than the way of perfectionism, is marked by patience and kindness toward others, by a lack of envy and bragging about accomplishments, by the uh, intentional decisions to not keep records of wrongdoings and imperfections, and, and by a commitment to what is true, which is often not what our bodies are telling us. He wrote that if we have power and knowledge and faith, if, if we're this picture of perfection as humanity de de defines it, but if we don't have love for others, then, then we gain nothing. Early Christian Peter, echoing a Hebrew proverb, wrote that love covers all sin. Love covers all imperfection. It doesn't deny it. doesn't fix it. But what it does is it surrounds it. It covers it. So that when we look at one another, and when we look at the mirror, the thing that we see is not the imperfection of a failed human being, whose imperfection disqualifies them from being able to belong. But what we see is that we can belong to God and to one another by love and forgiveness and grace. 
Perfectionism tells us that we're not okay as we are. And we see that when we look at each other without this cover of love around us. We think we're not okay as imperfect individuals and that we always have to be dissatisfied and always have to hold each other to this impossible standard of perfection. Perfectionism tells us that we won't be okay if there are differences among us and that we have to seek to resolve difference by assimilation or by separation. These are lies that our bodies tell us. It's a lie that we can achieve safety and well-being through perfection. The golden rule, speaking to our spirit, tells the truth that imperfection and our differences are a natural part of who we are and that we don't have to try to do the impossible of ridding ourselves of them. It tells us that we're okay as we are, that we are truly able to work together toward a future that's actually possible rather than this impossible wild goose chase that we're on now. And that's a future of more goodness and well-being and peace that will come not from being more perfect or more homogenous, but by being more loving. And through the acceptance and the cooperation and the compromise that comes from seeking to treat others the way we'd like to be treated ourselves, seeking for our imperfect and beautiful lives to contribute to the well-being of the other and of the world. The drive of perfectionism makes us our ugliest and our worst. You can ask the people that are closest to me if that's true about me, and it absolutely is. The drive of perfectionism is leading to a decline in health, lifespans, and opportunity for individuals. And it divides us against one another in fear, compromising our ability to achieve the belonging and the safety and the peace of that belonging that our bodies are craving. The drive to love in accordance with the golden rule makes us beautiful, makes us our best, makes us exemplary, leads us to the belonging and the well-being that we all crave and leads us to that which we are truly meant to accomplish. We were not meant to accomplish personal perfection or corporate sameness. We were meant to accomplish peace among the wildly and beautifully different peoples of the world. I invite you to think about those relationships in your own life and history that make you feel the most safe, the most well, the most joyful, grateful, the most alive. They are not the relationships where we've earned these things by our perfection. They are the relationships in which we have been our worst, and yet we've known love, acceptance, forgiveness, help, encouragement, and the certainty that we belong together with this person no matter what. Maybe that's a parent, grandparent, a spouse, a friend who is closer than you ever imagined you could be to someone who's not family. Now imagine if we allowed ourselves to nurture those same kinds of relationships with everyone else, neighbors, fellow Americans who are different than us, 
fellow humans who look and think differently than us all around the globe. Imagine if we all traded our expectations of these people shaped by our perfectionism or expectations shaped by that same kind of love and acceptance, generosity, forgiveness, grace, commitment to the well-being of the other that we know and feel and treasure because of our beloved relationships. What if that were our expectation for every human relationship instead? How much better would the world be? You have permission to stop trying to be perfect and to stop expecting others to be perfect. That was never supposed to be the goal. You have permission to just be you, just as you are, to know that you're enough and to know that your imperfect life can contribute to the beauty and the goodness, the justice and the peace of our world and our future. Stay home, stay safe, wear a mask, please, as the numbers continue to rise to record levels. Be well, look out for the well-being of others, and peace be to all.